1: In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Lamentations, chapters 3 through 5.
0: Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And 38 years later, after that declaration, Jerusalem is again destroyed. Not by the Babylonians, by the Romans. Very similar situation. But the final verse is, this is the triumph of all history, still coming. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Indeed they will, and indeed he will. You always want to watch these untils. They're key milestones. we getting to chapter 3, which is going to be about the hope of the people of God. The hope is that their chastisement would be for their own good. The real theme here is that better day will dawn for them. This is the heart of Jeremiah's short little book called Lamentations. This gives a positive framework around which all the other chapters revolve. The blackness of sin and suffering are in chapters 1 and 2 and 4 and 5 are a backdrop to a sparkling contrast of God's love in chapter 3. And it differs markedly from the first two. Instead of 22, verse 66 three times the others, which I think is in itself significant. It's organized, it's Jeremiah's response in terms of his afflictions, his hope, and his prayer. That's the three divisions of chapter 3. Jeremiah continues, I am the man that seen, that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old, He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. And when I cry and shout, He shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait, and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways, pulled me into pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my veins. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Jeremiah is now looking, obviously, to the past. He says, I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. And so, he's sitting on the rubble of Jerusalem, weeping as he writes all this. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. There is this sparkling verse tucked right in the middle of all this misery. It is the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning, and great is thy faithfulness. His mercies. Here, despite this trauma that He's immersed in, not quickly, this is part of His 40-year ministry. His compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's astonishing to see this great man of God plunged into this darkness and this abuse, able to keep focus on God's mercies. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. Boy, if there's something we need to remember out of Lamentations, it's probably verses 22 through 24. Wow. Deserved deliverance. That's really what he's saying. No, what's the reason they've even survived is because of the faithfulness of God. He had promised Abraham that he would make a nation come from him, and this was that nation. See, Jeremiah is gaining his strength by understanding the pattern of history here. He promised Moses that he would bring them into the land. He had promised Joshua that he would establish them there. He promised David that there would come one in His line to reign on the throne forever. Jeremiah never lost sight of that. See, the prophets all had said that God would not utterly destroy the people, but that He would judge them for their sin. God is faithful and He has judged them, but He will not utterly destroy them. That's the glimmer of hope that Jeremiah is positioning here. A faithful remnant has always remained. And ultimately, they will become a great nation again. That's the the tenor here. The Lord is good to them that wait for Him, and the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence, because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled with reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Amazing position for Jeremiah and his predicament. For if doth not afflict willingly, or grieve the children of men, to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, or his senior, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass when the Lord commandeth it not? Out of the mouth of the Most High proceedeth not evil and good? Wherefore doth a living man complain, and a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search and try our ways, and turn again unto the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto the God in the heavens. We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned, thou hast covered with anger and persecuted us, thou hast slain and And thou hast not pitied, thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayer should not pass through. Thou hast made us as the offscoring and refuse in the midst of the people. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and snares come upon us, desolation and destruction. Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people." He shifts, by the way, from the plural to the singular. The next verses 48 to 51 provide a transition from the people's confession to Jeremiah's example. Mine eye trickleth down and seetheth not without any intermission, till the Lord look down and behold from heaven. Mine eye affect, affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. Mine enemies chased me sore like a bird without cause. This is Jeremiah's ministry, especially in Judah's final days created many, many enemies. The people from his own hometown plotted to kill him. We see that in Jeremiah chapter 11. And everybody at the temple demanded he be executed. That's in Jeremiah 26. He was beaten down and thrown into prison as a traitor in Jeremiah 37. And later, near the end of Nebuchadnezzar's siege, lowered into a muddy cistern to starve to death. That's in Jeremiah 38. Wow. Is that a ministry you'd want to be called to? They have cut off my life in the dungeon and cast a stone upon me. Waters flowed over mine head, and then I said, I am cut off. I called upon thy name, O Lord, out of the low dungeon. Thou hast heard my voice. Hide not thine ear at my breathing, at my cry. Thou us near in the day that I called upon thee. Thou said, Fear not. O Lord, thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. O Lord... Thou hast seen my wrong, judge thou my cause. Thou hast seen all their vengeance and all their imaginations against me. Thou hast heard their reproach, O Lord, and all their imaginations against me, the lips of those that rose up against me and their device against me all the day. Behold they're sitting down and they're rising up, I am their music. Render unto them a recompense, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them sorrow of heart, thy curse unto them. Persecute and destroy them in anger from under the heavens of the Lord. Will God judge America? That's one of the lurking questions we have to think about. A lot of people don't think so. I think He will. I think America is ripe for judgment. I won't go into that whole detour. i leave it to you to explore yourself. Let's go to chapter 4, which speaks of the ruin and desolation of Jerusalem and the temple. Again, tracing it to the people's sins. The Lord's anger will be contrast before and after the, the uh, siege, causes for the siege, and then a call for vindication. That's basically the structure of chapter 4. It's a short chapter. How is the gold become dim? How is the most fine gold changed? The stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street. The precious sons of Zion comparable to fine gold, how they are esteemed as earthen pitchers. The work of the hands of the potter. So, he's comparing gold to the young men of Zion. The gold vessels are now like earthen vessels. And uh, this is a terrifying thing about any warfare, it always apparently demands the best. It takes the best of the bunch. It's interesting too that both uh, in uh, Timothy and in Romans, Paul likens a believer to a clay vessel. And the issue is not what you're made of, the issue is what you're being used for. That's what makes the distinction between the vessels. Even the sea monsters draw out the breast. They give suck to their young ones. The daughter of my people has become cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the sucking child cleaveth to the roof of his mouth for thirst. The young children ask bread, and no man breaketh it unto them. They that did feed delicately are desolate in the streets. They that were brought up in scarlet embrace dunghills. For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of My people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, that was overthrown in a moment, and no hand stayed on her. Her Nazarites were purer than snow, and they were whiter than milk, and they were more ruddy in body than rubies, their polishing as of a sapphire." The Nazarites, of course, were the voluntary vows, and there were many that took them, but they were on the outside only. Their hearts really weren't changed, is the point. Their visage is blacker than a coal. They are not known in the streets. Their skin cleaveth to their bones. It is withered. It has become like a stick. They that be slain with the sword are better than they that were slain with hunger. For these pine away stricken through for want of the fruits of the field. He's saying you'd rather be dead than alive. The condition of those that remained was that bad. You were lucky if you were killed. That's really the thrust of what he's suggesting here. The hands of the pitiful women have sodden their own children. They were their meat in the destruction of the daughter of my people. We can't imagine that. Same thing took place in the, in the siege of Titus in 70 AD. People got so hungry the mothers had to give their babies to be eaten. We can't imagine that. And yet, we have a policy of murdering our children. The most dangerous place for an American to be is in the womb of his mother. He's got one chance in four of being murdered. It's higher than the other statistic. The Lord hath accomplished His fury. He hath poured out His fierce anger, hath kindled a fire in Zion, and it hath devoured the foundations thereof. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy should have entered into the gates of Jerusalem. For the sins of her prophets, oh boy, the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, they have shed the blood of the just in the midst of her. This is a tragic example of the far-reaching impact of corrupt spiritual leadership. Here it's prophets and priests. The problem in America starts at the pulpits of America. How many pulpits do you have to visit before you ever even hear any discussion of sin, and the blood of Christ, and his redemption? For the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, they have shed the blood of just in the midst of it. All this misery is a result of a. It's all laid at the feet of the spiritual, the corrupt spiritual leadership. They have wandered as blind men in the streets, they have polluted themselves with blood so that men could not touch their garments. You see, because the false prophets and priests did not tell the people the truth, they are guilty of murder. That's God's estimate of it. A preacher who does not preach the Word of God and tell the people how to be saved can be put in the same classification. Our own churches have lost sight of what they're all about. They cried unto them, Depart ye, it is unclean. Depart, depart, touch not. When they fled away and wandered, and they said among the heathen. They shall no more sojourn there. The anger of the Lord hath divided them. He will no more regard them. They respected not the persons of the priests. They favored not the elders. As for us, our eyes as yet failed for our vain help. In our watching, we have watched for a nation that could not save us. They hunt our steps that we cannot go in our streets. Our end is near. Our days are fulfilled. For our end is come. The first cause of Jerusalem's siege was the sin of the prophets and priests. The second cause was the futility of foreign alliances. Okay? Instead of trusting in God, Jerusalem had turned to Egypt for protection from Babylon. But Jeremiah in Jerusalem and Ezekiel in Babylon had warned against the futility of trusting in Egypt for protection. Of course, this false hope brought bitter grief. When Babylon's armies Swifter than eagles, finally captured Jerusalem, pursued those that were trying to escape, and the end came. Our persecutors are swifter than the eagles of heaven. They pursued us upon the mountains. They laid wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord, was taken in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the heathen. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom. Edom being their enemies, right? Remember? Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom that dwellest in the land of Uz, the cup also shall pass through unto thee. Thou shalt be drunken, and thou shalt make thyself naked. The punishment of thine iniquity is accomplished to daughter of Zion. He will no more carry thee away into captivity. He will visit thine iniquity, daughter of Edom, and he will discover thy sins." And so we're going to see there's going to be a permanent switch here. Contrast with Edom and Israel. The present condition, Edom is rejoicing, and Israel's being punished, right? The future condition, Israel will be restored, Edom will be punished. That's really what he's saying here. They're going to finally get theirs. That's going to take a while. Edom is continually their enemy. Herod was an Edomite. Idumean is a term, but it means an Edomite. The enemies of Israel. Always the enemies of Israel. Chapter 5, the final wrap up, okay? This is a prayer that Zion's reproach may be taken away. In the repentance and recovery of the people, the remnant's response is prayer for remembrance and a prayer for restoration. Two parts. The first four chapters were acrostics. Chapter five is not. The first four chapters frequently use the kena meter, the three plus two, the limping meter as they call it. Chapter five does not. Three of the first four chapters begin with the alas, from which we get the book gets, actually gets its name. Chapter 3 is the only exception among the acoustic, among those acoustic ones. But chapter 5 does not. This chapter begins and ends with a prayer. In chapter 5, Jeremiah presented the response that the remnant needed to make to God. This is what we're going to focus on. God's chastisement was intended to lead to repentance. Let's jump in. Remember, O Lord, what is come upon us. Consider, behold, our reproach. Our inheritance is turned to strangers, our houses to aliens. We are orphans and fatherless. Our mothers are as widows. We have drunken our water for money. In other words, they have to pay for the water they drink. Our wood is sold unto us. See, even the basic essentials they have to purchase. Our necks are under persecution. We labor and have no rest. We have given the land to the Egyptians and to the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. Our fathers have sinned and are not. And we have borne their iniquities. The servants have ruled over us. There is none that doth deliver us out of their hand. We get our bread with the peril of our lives because of the sword of the wilderness. Our skin was black like the oven because of the terrible famine. They ravished the women in Zion and the maids in the cities of Judah. Princes are hanged up by their hand. The faces of elders were not honored. They took the young men to grind, and the children fell under the wood. See, the women ravished, the princes hanged, they lost everything. The young men survived because they're put to slavery. The elders have ceased from the gate, the young men from their music. The joy of our heart has ceased, our dance is turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. For this our heart is faint, for these things our di- eyes are dim. Because of the mountain of Zion, which is desolate, the foxes walk upon it. Thou, O Lord, remainest forever thy throne from generation to generation. Wherefore dost thou forget us forever, and forsake us for so long time? Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. But thou hast utterly rejected us. Thou art very wroth against us. Wow. This was not a doubting cry from a discouraged remnant. It really was a response of faith from those captives who had mastered the lessons of Deuteronomy 28 that were prophesied 600 years earlier by Moses. You can can take the time to study the parallel between Lamentations and Deuteronomy 28. You can go right through Lamentations and right through Deuteronomy, just that one chapter, and see the parallel. That, they're really, uh, that the writer here, Jeremiah, is really echoing the very curses that were promised by Moses for those that failed to be obedient. A call by God is a call to obedience. That's a heavy lesson. And of course, we talked about the chiasmic structure that we've been through, in which chapter 5 is the final response to the whole cycle. Okay, the first four chapters were acrostics. Chapter 5 wasn't. First four t- chapters are frequently used as the kenometer, the the three the, the limping meter as they call it. Chapter five does not. Three of the first four chapters begin with the alas term that opens the chapter. Chapter five does not. Chapter begins and ends with a prayer. Verse one and verse twenty one are prayers in chapter five. And in chapter five, Jeremiah presents the response that the remnant needed to make to God. And the I- key idea is that God's chastisement not wiping them out. It's intended to lead to repentance. And the great tribulation is the same thing. We study that separately, but Hosea 5 verse 15 highlights that very same thing. That they, I return to my place in their affliction, they will seek me earnestly. And that's the ultimate bright spot in the whole program. Very interesting thing, quote I want to throw in here. But Daniel if, Webster, if religious books are not circulated among the masses and the people do not turn to God, I do not know what is to become of us as a nation. If truth be not diffused, error will be. If God and His Word are not received, the devil and his works will gain ascendancy. If, ev- evan- if the evangelical volume does not reach every hamlet, the pages of a corrupt and licentious literature will. If the power of the gospel is not felt through the length and breadth of the land, anarchy, misrule, degradation, misery, corruption, and darkness will reign without mitigation or end. Daniel Webster's prediction. If God's Word doesn't go out through the land, pornography and whatever else will. Ben Franklin also points out, The longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of the truth that God governs in the affairs of men. So there you have it. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Well, Father, we tremble as we realize how far we have fallen. How blessed we were as a nation with the founding fathers that knew Your Word, that used Your Word as a foundation. And for several centuries, Father, You have blessed us with the peace and abundance that are the envy of the world. And our response to You has been one of ingratitude, of presumption, of arrogance. Oh Father, we also acknowledge the vacancies in our pulpits, vacancies of Your Word, vacancies of Your gospel. How far we have to travel to find those that plead the shed blood on our behalf. That precious blood shed so long ago. Father, we would pray that through Your Holy Spirit You would reignite in every one of us a new hunger, a new passion for Your Word. That we each might grow in grace the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. That we each might look to Your Word as our security during the turbulent and troubled times that lie ahead. We do pray, Father, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, give us the commitment, the tenacity, the obedience of Jeremiah. That whatever comes, however dark it might be, we might never lose sight of who you are and what your purposes are in our lives. We do pray, Father, that You would draw us ever closer to You. That we might not fall behind or get ahead. That we would stay in step with what You have for us. We pray, Father, that through Your Holy Spirit You would illuminate the path ahead. That we might indeed, truly, walk with You as we commit ourselves without any reservation whatsoever into Your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord, our Savior, our refuge, a very present help in trouble.
1: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Lamentations. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, when we begin a new series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.